What's up, everybody? Welcome to Uncommon Grounds, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. This is a podcast about students from our School of Communications. On this episode of Uncommon Grounds, host Chris Rausch interviews Jared Penna, a third-year journalism major who serves as managing editor of the Quinnipiac Chronicle. The two discuss Jared's role as managing editor, where his passion from sports originated, and ways to improve inclusion in the School of Communications. You will also find out Jared's favorite Boston athlete, and the answer might surprise you. My name is Mike Bachman, and I am the producer of the show. I am also a graduate student in Quinnipiac School of Communications. Our executive producer and director of community programming is David DeRoche. Uncommon Grounds is hosted by Chris Rausch, Dean of the School of Communications. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Uncommon Grounds. This is a podcast about students at the Quinnipiac University School of Communications. My name is Chris Rausch. I am the Dean of the school. Joining us today is Jared Pinna. Jared, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to get the opportunity to be on. Sure. So why sports? What's the what's the interest there? So my time as sports editor, I was kind of motivated to do that just because Growing up, sports was always a part of my life. You know, at a really young age, uh, my dad got a basketball hoop for me and my brothers who were always out in the driveway. Um, And growing up, sports was just such a big part of family. Um, So it's always been a central theme in my life. I've always been really passionate about it. And as time has gone on, I've just, you know, gotten more and more interested and gained more and more knowledge. And now being able to apply that to a possible profession in the future was something that was really exciting that, you know, it's not only a hobby anymore or something I'm interested in, but also something I could potentially make a living out of. So I wanted to get some more experience and exposure to the opportunities and just the work that comes along with covering sports. Have you started thinking about coverage for the fall and what that might look like, given it's really uncertain right now as to whether teams are going to play? Yeah, so... Riley Millette, who is the sports editor for this coming semester, is mainly in charge of that. And I'm serving as more of an advising role as the managing editor. Okay. But I do help oversee that section. And so we're in constant communication about uh, new content ideas, um, what we could possibly cover that hasn't been covered before. Right now, we're doing a project where for a day of each month, for each day of the month, you know, if it's June 4th, we'll find an athlete at Quinnipiac who wears number four and kind of highlight some of their career accomplishments, what they've done over the past season and over the past couple of years. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely an adjustment not having sports um, over the summer, always that's an issue, but coming back in the fall with the possibility of, you know, soccer not coming back, volleyball not coming back, things like that. There's definitely gonna have to be a lot more content uh, from angles that we haven't, you know, looked at sports before. And that might be, you know, learning more about the people who are playing the sports, you know, doing a lot more uh, feature stories. Um, we could talk about, you know, the, the teams themselves, how they operate, things like that, you know, the training and the work that the athletes put in. But it's definitely going to be different not having, you know, recaps every, every few days uh, and not having games to attend. So going from sports editor to managing editor of the paper, how is your job going to change? So as sports editor, I was serving with uh, the now editor-in-chief, Brendan O'Sullivan. Uh, We were co-sports editors, and we kind of just oversaw 
the, the coverage of sports. So we would assign uh, staff writers to cover games, to write feature stories. We would hunt out possible feature ideas. Uh, and we were in constant communication with administration and the communications department within athletics just to set up uh, times to meet, times to talk, providing our writers with opportunities to get in touch with athletes and post-game interviews and whatnot. And it was a lot more content-based. And as a managing editor, I'm going to be much less hands-on with uh, the content itself. So I'm not going to be designing the newspaper anymore or posting stories to the website or on social media. Um, instead, you know, having been the sports editor, I'm going to still be working closely with those who are serving in sports right now, just as a teacher and a coach and someone who's been there and done that, kind of providing uh, insight and experience that they don't have yet. But as a managing editor, I'm a lot more focused on trying to start up a Chronicle podcast, um, maybe revitalizing the YouTube channel and just kind of working the intricacies of how we can continue to reach the audience we're reaching now, but in a more effective way and then branching out and being able to reach audiences that we haven't reached before. Jared, I'm not familiar with your story. How did you get to Quinnipiac? What, what attracted you to the university? So my whole college application process was pretty random. I didn't really have a college advisor in high school, so I was pretty clueless about the whole thing. I had two brothers that had gone through it, and they kind of explained to me what it was like, and my parents were obviously very helpful, but at the same time, I was, you know, three-fourths through my senior year thinking, you know, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to study. I don't know what I'm passionate about. And I thought about just some of the things about school that I enjoyed and writing was definitely one of them. Um, and I started talking to teachers, my parents, and they were saying, well, what about journalism or communications or something in that? You know, I knew I wanted to stay close to home, being born in Massachusetts and whatnot. So I Googled best communications and journalism schools in the Northeast. And a huge list came up and I was scrolling through and there were a couple in Boston, Emerson caught my eye, but I didn't want to really be in the city. So I started looking elsewhere. And I think Quinnipiac might have been 22nd or 23rd on the list, which, you know, I haven't been to those other schools, but being here now, I, I'd imagine, you know, those other ones would have to be really out of the park to outdo what our program is doing. I can't imagine a better fit and better experiences than the ones I'm getting now. But I clicked on the link, saw the campus, thought it was beautiful, came for a visit. Um, and just, I mean, everyone I met was so helpful, so kind, so inclusive. And it just, it felt like a place I wanted to go. So it was one of only two schools I applied to. And once I got in, you know, I knew it was my top choice. So I made the decision. Where else did you apply? Uh, my other application was to Champlain University up in Vermont. That one would okay. have been a little further from home. It didn't have, I think, the same resources that Quinnipiac had. The winters would have been very cold. And as someone who's not a huge winter sports guy like skiing snowboarding I've never done it so that would have been pretty brutal I think <laughs> so Jared as, as I told you earlier this week one of the things that I've I've been watching is uh your your posts on Twitter and I've been very uh impressed with how you've taken a stand uh about what's been going on uh in this country and supporting the protesters and in supporting uh, racial equality and inclusion. Where does that come from? Where, where, where is your passion there uh, emanating from? I think, you know, most of it would probably just be my upbringing. Um, 
I have two parents who, of course, I'm biased, but I think they're two of the most incredible people, you know, maybe ever, but definitely in my life. And, you know, from a very early age through my religious beliefs, as well as just my upbringing, I've been taught that, you know, everybody deserves the same basic human rights. Um, everybody deserves to have, the, you know, an opportunity to succeed, an opportunity to be treated just with, you know, even the most basic levels of respect, um, you know, if not more than that. And so, you know, what we've seen, especially over the past couple of weeks and past few years with social media exposing it more, but, you know, in reality, since the founding of the country, just learning more and more about that, it's, it's just, it's difficult to process. It's difficult to understand, you know, why it's happening. But again, like just the motivation to speak out comes from just, you know, what I believe to be really basic, really obvious necessities of human life and human existence. Yeah, it, I continue to be shocked and dismayed by what, by what I see from some people that they don't treat everybody equally. I feel like we've not made any progress in my lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing to look back on, you know, some of the protests and riots and efforts from the past and realize, you know, what's changed since, since then. You know, not to discredit those protests or anything. I think it's a discredit to those who have the power to make change. You know, we've been doing the right thing and speaking up and advocating for change for a really long time. And the fact that, you know, still it seems there's been little, if not no progress at all, is very disheartening. But just adds even more to the importance of, you know, speaking up now and trying to make that change that you wish you had seen earlier. You know, I, I'd be interested in any advice you would give me as to how we could improve inclusion and diversity and just how our students feel here at the School of Communications. I think the biggest thing about making progress is having conversations and not losing touch of what a conversation actually is. You know, I try to use the platform of social media when I tweet and things like that. I try to use it to both speak, but also listen. I think that what people lose sight of is that a conversation is both of those things. It's speaking, but it's also listening. And so I don't think progress is going to happen until people on both sides are able to advocate for, you know, what they desire, what they think is right and what they believe in, but then also being able to then pause, let, you know, the other person digest and then do that yourself. Listen to what they have to say, be open to the fact that your mind might be changed, that, you know, you probably don't know everything and there are probably a lot of things that people could teach you about. And I think that too often people are shutting down that opportunity or, you know, stuck in their own ways, like seeing tweets about like, you know, if you defend a cop, then you have no humanity whatsoever. I don't see how that creates an environment where change is possible because not only are you speaking for someone else, but you're making a very aggressive claim about what that person, you know, who they are or what they stand for. To tell someone that they have no humanity whatsoever without, you know, listening to maybe why they're defending someone or, you know, listening and trying to understand the point that they're making, because it's, it's impossible to change someone's mind if you don't understand where they're coming from. And so, I think that um, as the Dean of School of Communications, you know, you're in a position where you have a lot of influence and you can make a lot of change. And I think that the most important thing now is to 
just, I think, listen to what students are saying, continuing to follow along with what they have to say on Twitter. But also, I mean, that email you sent out mentioning you would start a focused group of uh, students who, you know, are Black students at Quinnipiac, which is, I mean, there aren't a lot of them, but being able to hear what they have to say and being able to hear and understand, I think is the biggest, the biggest thing that can create change. Thank you. Thank you for that advice. I appreciate it. You know, one of the problems that I, that I have with social media, you've pointed out, and that is some people get on there and just go on rants and it's not a conversation on social media. And, and to me, that's, that's one of the biggest pitfalls of, of social media is that people get on there and, uh, and don't actually listen to what people are saying or people are writing. And, and I don't think that helps. And I mean, credit to you, I saw another tweet from you today where, you know, when you made that initial response, there was an overwhelming amount of positive support. A lot of people said, you know, this is how the university as a whole should have responded. I'm proud to have, you know, Chris Roush as my dean, things like that. And then there was that other comment that said, you know, this still isn't enough. Like we still need to address the problem. And your response was, that's a fair point. And, you know, I hope students keep telling me what I can do and how I can create change. And that's, I think, is the attitude and the mindset that a lot more people have to take on if we're going to see changes. Understanding, hearing where, you know, maybe you missed the mark on something. And that's not an insult of your character. It's not saying you're not trying. It's not saying you're against the cause, but it's just, you know, this is a start, but, you know, we, we still want more. And being able to hear that process it, and then advocate for it, I think is going to be very big moving forward. We have to do better. It's, it's plain and simple. We, we've got to address the situation. And it's my responsibility as, as dean to address the situation. So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Jerry, let's end on a high note. Favorite Boston athlete of all time? Favorite Boston athlete of all time? That's a difficult one. I'm a big advocate for Bill Russell. You ever had your picture taken with the statue? I have, yep. I have too. <laughs> I actually, growing up when I, I was debating joining my baseball team, uh, my school's baseball team in seventh grade, and my coach at the time, he really wanted me to play. I wasn't so sure about it. And um, I was at his house with my friend, and he grabbed a Bill Russell autographed photo and held it behind his back. And he said, if you can pick the right hand, which one it's in, I'll give it to you, but you have to play for me all six years. And I said, that's a fair agreement. So I guessed the right hand and, you know, he, he pulled it out in his right hand, gave it to me. I played, you know, a great six years, great experience. And come to find out, my friend told me that it was in his left hand. He switched it over to start <laughs> getting photographed. But um, I mean, that's another reason why Bill Russell probably is one of my favorites, just because he has ties to some cool yeah. moments like that. So I met Bill Russell once, it was in the 1990s, and he was in Atlanta, and I found a basketball to try and get him to autograph. As you know, he famously does not like people coming up to him to sign autographs. Right. Um, I was not successful, but <laughs> I did get to meet him. <laughs> That's exciting, yeah. I mean, if there, were, if there was one person I think I could meet, it would probably be him. He just has such a fascinating and powerful history. Um, yeah from being, you know, the first, I think, black real superstar in the NBA to what he did off the court, um, you know, during civil rights movements and things like that. He's always been, I think, just a great guy and a great player. So hearing about his past from him, I think would be really cool. Yeah, just somebody who's always 
stood for the right thing. You know, my, my sons and I argue, you know, you're all time NBA starting five. And Russell is always my center. And I have to argue with my kids, why? And then like, because they never saw him play. I mean, I was very young, but I still got to see him play. Right. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I would have had the opportunity. All right, Jared, we're out of time. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. That was Chris Roush interviewing Jared Penna, a third-year journalism major who serves as managing editor of the Quinnipiac Chronicle. Uncommon Grounds is hosted by Chris Roush, Dean of the School of Communications at Quinnipiac University. The show is produced by myself, Mike Bachman. Our executive producer and director of community programming is David DeRoche. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcasts on the platform or app of your choice. And be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QUPodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want us to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is QUPodcasts at QU.edu. On the next episode of Uncommon Grounds, Chris interviews Dina Dupree, a rising junior broadcast journalism major and the recipient of the 2020-2021 Allen Abelson Endowed Scholarship in Business Journalism. Until then, keep your distance, wash your hands, and we'll see you next time.